Welcome to another powerful word from Pastor Ron Hammonds, Senior Pastor of Golden Triangle Church on the Rock in Southeast Texas. We're so glad you're joining us. For more information about Golden Triangle Church on the Rock Ministries, visit our website, cotr.com. Enjoy the word. Well, open up your words tonight. We're going to be going to Acts. We're going to be in chapter 18. And, and tonight we're going to talk about Corinth. I didn't have a real catchy you know, uh, 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 title for tonight. I thought about Corinthian companions, uh, but that didn't really tell the whole story. And so uh, we'll get to the story in just a moment. But you know, uh, before we start to read from the Word tonight, let me tell you, reputation is very important. To build a good reputation is very, very important, especially when it comes... Uh, to a point where you're needing people to trust you. Whenever people who don't know you, you know, uh, are in a place where you realize that at some point they're going to need to trust you, then it's good for you to do a little bit of work in building a reputation. Not that you're trying to create a false sense of, of, of appreciation, but it is important that we pay a little bit of attention. In fact, Proverbs says that a good name is rather to be had than riches, than silver or gold. It's important that we protect our reputation, our good name. And uh, uh, this evening we're going to use uh, uh, what the Apostle Paul did in a certain situation for us to take a look at some of the priorities of his life and, and some of the well-proven, time-honored, very simple priorities of life that help us to build and maintain a good reputation. Now, I, I, I have a tendency to share things with you from the Word of God that perhaps you have read over and over and over. Perhaps some of you had read this even for decades, but yet maybe, uh, maybe you haven't really pulled it out. I don't know why, but God sends, uh, sends me to, to, to the Scriptures to find things I've never seen before to find things I didn't know before, to add to my life, to add, uh, you know, flavors and, 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 and uh, you know, scents from, from the Word of God that make my life better, sweeter, and I apply the things that I share with you each week to my life, and I hope that you apply them to your life, because God is a very practical God. He's very spiritual, yet He's not always too spooky. Most of the time, uh, you know, uh, God, God's Spirit is trying to help us be more normal and trying to be greater in our normal. In fact, if we cannot conquer the normal, ordinary, everyday, humdrum, day in and day out mundane things of life then we are probably failing and one of the tests that we are failing is probably failing the test of being qualified for the extraordinary you know there was an airplane pilot you may remember him a few years ago named Captain Sully who successfully landed his plane in the, in the Hudson River and everyone got off the plane and walked away and he walked out last as though he were some hero and which he was but according to his own personal testimony he did not not necessarily see himself doing something heroic because he said that every day for all of his career for decades he had he had went through his checklist he had done everything that he was supposed to do day in and day out in the ordinary everyday humdrum day in and day out uh, uh, you know routine that routine of life I'm a pilot you know I have I have a couple of thousand hours of pilot in command time uh, I, I know what it's like to get into an airplane 
explain for the for the hundredth time for the for the you know I don't, I don't know how many times you know uh, for the thousandth time and sit down and open up that little checklist and go through this checklist you know master switch off you know you know to 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 start it up and then make sure you know my oil pressure comes up and and going through everything you know green I'm in the green arc I'm no 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 and then you know to to go through the radio procedures make the right calls and then to taxi out to a certain place and then to do my run-ups and to check my mags and to check my you know manifold pressure and to check my you know oil pressure and to check you know all the different things you know whatever it says some of them say run it up to 1500 rpm some say 17 rpm some say okay notice a drop of 120 rpms notice the drop do you get a drop of 50 rpms when you pull on the carburetor heat you know uh, all you know to make sure everything works even to the point to where you know i i have to look you know in such a way so that I can see that my elevators working and my ailerons are working and my rudders are working and every time it doesn't matter if I flew from here to to um, you know to New Orleans and got out and got a hamburger and you know we used to fly to eat places eat hamburgers generally at airports all over the place and and then hop you know and and there I'm, I'm, I'm I can see my airplane but when I go back out there and get an airplane I know the importance of that but you know uh, I don't have the 20,000 hours or whatever it was that Captain Sully had. But he said from his own you know, admission, from, from, from his own testimony, that what he did in landing that plane in the Hudson was not really uh, all that, you know, I'll use the word heroic, my word, not his. He said what he had done is that every day he had deposited a small amount into the bank of experience and into the bank of, of doing things the right way, doing it the right way every time. That mundane, everyday, day in, day out, humdrum, you know, uh, routine of life. And he said on the day that that emergency happened, he had enough in the bank that he could make a huge withdrawal you know, isn't that great? All he did was just call upon something that he had done well for so long and so many times. He had flown it so many times in his head, and all he did was his checklist, and all he did was just what you're supposed to do. You know, it's designed. You know, God has given us a checklist, and it's designed to create success, even in emergency situations. Even in, 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 in things, you know, uh, we can't always control what happens or what goes on in our life or what we experience. But God tells us how to get through each situation, each circumstance of life. And many of those things are, uh, are you know, hidden if we just read across them. They're hidden that we can so quickly miss some of the huge elements uh, of a successful life we see it played over and over thankfully God tells the same story in so many lives and uh, this is one of those stories 
you know, we will discover tonight uh, not only how to build and maintain a, a good reputation, but we're also going to take a look at how friends encourage friends, how important friendships are, how important companionship is, how important partnership is. It's that koinonia, that special spiritual relationships that we have with one another because we are born again, because we are going in the same direction, because we are connected uh, by God, through God, as it were. As First John tells us, that our fellowship is not with one another, as we might imagine, but our fellowship is with the Lord. And if you walk in the light and I walk in the light, uh, John said, then we have fellowship one with another, for our fellowship is with the Father. And so when I'm walking in the light God has given me and you're walking in the light God has given you, then there is this special, what the Word of God calls koinonia, which is partnership, relationship, fellowship, or other words that, is, that word is translated in the Scriptures. And it means that special spiritual relationship that makes us productive in life. Okay, It is, it, it, it is the, the, the sharing of a burden of life together that we do that encourages. And, and we'll, we'll take a look at that in, in its true form and, and, and the results of it. it. It was about the year A.D. 52 by the time we get to Acts chapter 18. You, you may remember uh, here that, that, uh, that the Apostle Paul in Acts 16 and 17 had had a really tough time. You know, y'all may remember he had just gotten to Europe, you know, and uh, uh, this is his journey, Acts 16 and 17, uh, is his journey uh, through Philippi, you know, all the way down to Athens. I mean, this guy had been through it. He's about 47 years old. He had a group of people with him whenever he got there to Philippi. And, uh, uh, you know, he's, he ended up being beaten and stripped naked and put in jail and, you know, then saw a miracle. Then he was run out of town. Then he went to the next town and, and then he was run out of that town. And then he went to the, you know, the you know, and over and over here, he had just encountered quite a lot of what I'll call disappointment. I mean, you know, he wasn't happy he was being run out of town. I mean, we often think of the Apostle Paul as, you know, he was preaching the gospel and he was persecuted. Oh, what a joy it was for him. I mean, come on now. He was stripped naked in public and beaten with rods. Oh, what a joy for him. No, uh, listen, it hurt. It didn't just hurt him physically. It hurt his feelings. Come on now. How many times can you be told that you're horrible before it kind of hurts your feelings? He had had people that he loved leave him. He had had people that he trusted uh, no longer want to walk with him. He had had a kind of difficult time. He had gotten down all the way down to Athens. And by the time we get to the end of chapter 17, the apostle Paul is kind of disappointed once again. And in fact, uh, some scholars believe that, that the apostle Paul was near depression because he had only had a little bit of fruit to show for his hard work in Athens. And he had, you know, even though um, we, we, we imagine, you know, uh, Timothy had come to visit him, Silas, he had sent them back to Thessalonica. And so he was there in one of the rare moments of his ministry and when he is alone in the ministry. You know, he, 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 he doesn't have his partner. He doesn't have his team with him. He doesn't have his partners with him. And there he is talking to a bunch of people uh, at, in, in Athens. You know, these, these people are just, the Bible says the only thing that they were interested in is to hear something new. You know, it gets so tiring to, 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 to talk to people, and the only thing they want to hear is something new. 
you know. Uh, they, they, they just, you know, and they talk in circles. They're philosophers. You know, they were, uh, you know, uh, the students of Socrates and Aristotle, and they were, you know, uh, 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 you know uh, they were just, you know, they were boring and tiring. Even though the Apostle Paul was a very learned man, he was a man of letters. You know, uh, he was an important man. His, his, his parents evidently had been, you know, a people of means because his father, at least his father, perhaps his father and his mother both were Roman citizens living in Tarsus, and they had to be people of some wealth and means because they were able to send him at about 12 or 13 years old all the way to Jerusalem to go into one of the major universities, the major school to study under Gamaliel, one of the greatest teachers in the world at that time, and to study law. He became an attorney, a, a lawyer of the law of God to argue and to practice the law of God uh, uh, before the highest Jewish court in the world. I mean, they had one word, power of life and death. You know, and he, I mean, he was, he was learned, he was educated, but yet, don't you know that he was getting bored with all these people talking their philosophies in circles, and he was trying to explain to them, you know, the unknown God, and it just, finally, we can see that he's kind of a little bit disappointed perhaps maybe maybe on the verge of being frustrated he's alone and so he leaves Athens it's about a 56 mile walk you know uh, 82 of you are signed up to, 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 to go with me uh, this next year as we go from Athens down to Corinth so that's where we catch the Apostle Paul he's about 47 years old about the year 52 he's 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 now you know by himself as, as, as best we know, you know, uh, listen, uh, uh, sometimes, sometimes we need a break from before we have a breakdown on the way to our breakthrough. You know, that's one of my many points. I preached that some, you know, 15 years ago. But let me say it again. Sometimes we need a break from before we have a breakdown on the way to our breakthrough. Does that make sense? A lot of people preach breakthrough, but sometimes you just need a little pause in life. And that's what the Apostle Paul here is going to do. Let's, let's begin reading now, okay? I know some of you can relate. Uh, uh, Acts 18, verse 1. After these things, Paul departed from Athens and went to Corinth, okay? After what things? Well, after chapter 16 and 17, and after he'd been in Athens, and he, he was kind of, you know... Uh, and, uh, Corinth was one of the most populous and wealthy cities in all of Greece. And Corinth was known for its lasciviousness as well. In fact, uh, uh, you know, one of, the, one of the biggest trades in Corinth, it's set on an isthmus between the Aegean and the Mediterranean Sea. And, uh, you know, it, it, it's about nine miles across there, that little strip of land. And, and people would come, you know, uh, from the Mediterranean and from Asia and uh, uh, Eurasia, and they would, you know unload their goods there rather than sell all the way around and then they would be carried across land and taken on into Europe and so you know on, on into Rome Italy and so here uh, it was a very busy metropolis and and uh, it was known as well for for having this huge one of the, you know the big temple to the Roman goddess Venus 
which equates to the Greek goddess Aphrodite, which is, you know, uh, you know whether you're, depending on what culture you're from, it's the goddess of sex, the goddess of fertility. The Romans added a couple of extras, the goddess of victory and the goddess of, you know, uh, you know um, celebration, some other things that they added to it. But basically, this is an immoral goddess. Okay? And there were in Corinth about a thousand temple prostitutes that we uh, read in history who uh, worked for and were actually owned by the temple, and they prostituted these women out, and uh, women and men both, uh, uh, and, and, uh, you know, uh, for money so that the temple could get money and, and, and so that they could carry on their uh, lascivious activities. Uh, it, 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 it was just, just a... A micro, a, 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 a metropolis of, of so many different cultures and customs and gods and goddesses. And there was so much sin there. So, uh, you know, the, the Apostle Paul, the Bible says in verse 2, now he leaves Athens and he, and he walks down to Corinth. And Paul found a certain Jew named Aquila, born in Pointus. Pointus is back in Turkey, basically, okay, just uh, east of Cappadocia, just uh, southeast kind of, of, of uh, Istanbul. Paul found a certain Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla. Why did they come to Italy? Why did they come from Italy uh, uh, to Greece? Because Claudius, the emperor, had commanded all Jews to depart from Rome. That happened at about A.D. 49 or so. And uh, uh, Claudius did not want any more Jews in Rome, and so he ran them out of Rome. He, he signed an edict and ran them out of Rome. And then that, of course, kind of uh, waved out and rippled out into all of Italy so that if you were a Jew, you were unable uh, soon to do business or to get a job or to make any money. So, so they were leaving Italy. And here uh, Aquila and Priscilla... They had to leave Italy because of this, and uh, the Apostle Paul came to them. Now, there is no indication here. We're not certain whether Aquila and Priscilla were already born-again believers or not. We really don't know. They may have been born again, but we do certainly know that they were Jews, and that's what the Word of God majors on, that they were Jews. And, uh, um, you know, it, 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 it's very common for uh, in, in the Jewish culture that when a Jew would travel in those days that when they went to a city they would seek out the Jewish population, the Jewish community uh, for several reasons. One reason is because the Jewish law required for, uh, for, for Jews to entertain strangers. If you were a stranger and a traveler and you were traveling around the world and you were a Jew, when you got to community, you went to a Jewish community in that new city and you always knew that you had lodging and had a meal because it was a part of their law, a part of their custom, a part of their culture. Also, you could connect with language and you could connect with religion and you also had a guide and someone you know, to, to, to help you around the city and someone to consult with to know what was going on and what wasn't going on. All of these things were very common so that's one of the reasons here that when the Apostle Paul got to the city of Corinth even though the city was very sinful nonetheless he sought out the Jewish community and he found a certain man named Aquila and Priscilla his wife who had recently come from Italy and now they were living there in uh, in, in Corinth 
And so the Apostle Paul came to them. As I said, we don't know whether they were Christians at this time or not. We don't know if they were born-again believers. They may have been. If they were, it's probably because of Acts chapter 2 that on the day of Pentecost, there were people in Jerusalem from Rome and people from Pontus. You can read about it in Acts 2 verse 9, I believe. And, and uh, they, they got born again on the day of Pentecost. And then when they went back home, they carried a testimony and carried a witness and most likely... If they were born again, it's because somebody got born again in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost and carried the gospel back. But it's also possible they were not yet born again. Scholars are divided on this. Nonetheless, Paul came to them. And uh, verse 3 says, So, because he was of the same trade, because the apostle Paul had the same skills as Aquila and Priscilla. Because Paul was of the same trade, he stayed, he lodged with them and worked. For by occupation they were tent makers. Now it's noteworthy in the scripture to realize here that, that uh, evidently Aquila and Priscilla, perhaps they had a business, maybe they were employed in Italy, tent making. They had to leave. They got to Corinth. They opened up a business, started making tents. Tents were, you know, there were cloth tents. There were, you know, uh, 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 tents made from hides. All kinds of people used tents because that's how you travel. There weren't hotels hardly anywhere. So when you went on a 56-mile walk, you probably had to spend a night or two on the road, and you might keep a little tent wrapped up in your belongings. And Paul was accustomed. He was able. He had a trade. He knew how to make tents. What in the world? How did the Apostle Paul, you know, I mean, here is this university-educated, well-to-do from parents of some means who had been sent to university under the best teachers in the whole world. Why did the Apostle Paul, I mean, how did he know how to make tents? Well, it's also a part of the Jewish culture and custom and a part of their requirement in that day that a father taught his child how to do something how to make a living by some trade or some skill no matter what position the father held and no matter what position the child uh, was hoped uh, you know in in the future to occupy it was customary in those days uh, and and the Jewish tradition as I said, demanded that a father teach some handicraft, some trade to his child. So that, uh, this was done so that in times of unforeseen need, the individual would not become dependent upon the charity of others. In fact, Rabbi Judah said this, He that teacheth not his son a trade doth the same as if he taught him to be a thief. Isn't that interesting? If you don't teach your child a trade, it's the same as teaching them to be a thief because they will at some point perhaps come upon some unforeseen need to make a living by some trade or skill or by hand, and if they do not have the skill to do that. And so uh, no doubt the Apostle Paul's uh, uh, um, father early in life taught him how to work, make tents as it were. Uh, this was the Apostle Paul's custom as well. 
The Apostle Paul provided for himself when he needed so that he did not become a burden on others, especially he did not want to ever become a burden to the lost that he was trying to win to the Lord. He did not expect the lost in the next city that he went to to pay him to hear the gospel. He wanted to preach the gospel to the lost without charge. Acts, the 20th chapter, verse 34, is written, Yea, ye yourselves know, the apostle Paul said, that these hands have ministered unto my necessities and to them that were with me. I not only made my, my, my own way among the lost whenever I would go to preach the gospel, but I made sure that we made enough in order to take care of all of us so that we did not become a burden to those that we went to share the gospel with. In 2 Thessalonians, you know, uh, Paul wished... Um, the lost and the saved to see his example he hoped um, that they would see his willingness to work hard so that he could provide for himself and those with him he hoped he would that, that they would see that as an example in fact he even wrote in second thessalonians chapter 3 uh, uh, he says in verse 9 not because we have not power not because we don't have rights and authority not because we aren't worth you know a paycheck but but we want to make ourselves an example to others unto you to follow us for even when we were with you this we commanded you that if any would not work neither should he eat oh there was there's a there's a really good uh, something you know don't work don't eat and this is what he taught this is what he shared so is it is is it unreasonable that this is also what he lived you know there should be no laziness or unwilling to labor among those uh, uh, who are in considered to be in full-time ministry. There should be no unwillingness, no, no, no inability to labor and work to not only to provide for needs, but also to promote the needs of the church. Uh, 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 there, there, there are scriptures. There, there are a lot of scriptures that concern this matter that, that weigh on both sides of this equation. But it is not right in any profession, and especially according to the Apostle Paul, for ministers and those who profess the gospel to be unwilling or in, are, 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 uh, you know, uh, unable to do something to meet the needs in unforeseen moments. Acts 18 begins with Paul arriving in this new place, Corinth. And Paul is hoping to be accepted. You know that he is. You know that Paul wants to be accepted because if he's not accepted, he will do no better in Corinth than he did in Athens. You know, he, I mean, he needs to be accepted. He needs to be respected. I mean, who is going to change their life? Who's going to listen to somebody that you do not respect? He needs to be accepted, he needs to be respected, he needs to be productive in the gospel, and he finds it reasonable that the very first thing that he did, now you know he had Jesus in his heart, but the very first thing he did is that he found him a job. Isn't that interesting? And he got him a place to live. I find that so interesting, okay? I find it very interesting here that the Apostle Paul went to a new city. He's by himself. Here he's needing, you know, he's, he's, he's wanting to establish the church. He's wanting, you know, people to accept him. He's wanting people to respect him. He's wanting people to listen to what he says. And so he knows the way to do that is to become respectable, to become acceptable, and to become productive first in his own life, first in taking care of his own needs. And so what does he do? He finds a place to 
live, he finds a job, and he starts working. In fact, there is no real indication that the Apostle Paul starts talking about Jesus right here. That might be a little hard to swallow. While I'm saying, hey, listen, let me tell you about Jesus. And by the way, do you have $5? You can't make it about money and your need whenever you are sharing the King of kings and the Lord of lords with people who do not know him, do not love him, do not understand what you're saying. Now, now the, the, Acts 18 begins with the Apostle Paul here. He, he finds it reasonable to make friends. He finds it reasonable to interact with people. He finds it reasonable to take care of his needs. And, uh, and, and uh, you know, he's hoping to persuade people. You know, uh, uh, so, so he begins with the people that he knows. He begins with the Jews. He, he, he begins in the synagogue. He begins with, 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 with not necessarily, no indication, he begins with sharing Jesus here, but he begins to talk to them about the Scriptures. What is he doing? Again, I believe he's building his reputation. He's building his acceptance. He's talking about things that they know, about things they understand, about things that, you know, it's so important whenever you make a new friend at work that you don't present yourself as lazy and unwilling to provide and unwilling to do your part and carry your load. It's so important when you're wanting to witness to a family member to a friend or to someone across the ocean or someone next door that you can present yourself as someone who understands that there are some common things everyone needs to do in order to be accepted and respected and in order to be productive first of all you know you you need to make sure that you're taking care of yourself and and your needs next you need to make sure that you are you are communicating with them about something that they know that they appreciate step into their world and don't just try to get them over into yours step into their world put yourself in someone else's shoes put yourself in the shoes of those that you're that that that, that you're ministering to do you know every sunday morning every wednesday night do you know who I'm looking at? I'm looking at the people. Do you know who I'm preaching to tonight? Who I preach to on Sunday morning? It's not my cheerleaders. It's not those that, 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 that you know, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm looking for the visitor. I'm looking for the person who is sleepy, who's tired, who, who, who comes in worried and depressed. I'm looking for that person. I'm preaching to that person that's hurting, that doesn't want to listen, that's not listening. I'm trying to get their attention. I'm trying to preach to them. I'm trying to meet their need because the rest of you are okay. You know who our praise and worship is aimed at? It's aimed at the person that's not singing. We're not singing to the people who are singing. We're singing to the people who aren't singing. And if our attention is not on the people who aren't singing, then we are not leading people to Christ. The people who are singing, the cheerleaders, those that are jumping up and down, they can sing when they get home. They can sing on the way home. Now, we want to make sure, but we want to use them to encourage others. But if we're not reaching that person who is coming off the streets, who's lonely and tired and weary and frustrated and aggravated, who doesn't believe that anybody loves them, and, and you know, they, you know, they don't have internet, whatever. <laughs> I'm making fun there. If we're not reaching those people, if our contact is not with the non-worshippers, then why are we here? The Apostle Paul understood that. Jesus understood that. Jesus said, whenever they said, oh, you know, we, we want to make you our pastor, he said, no, I did not come for those who are okay. The well need no physician, he said. It's the sick that need a doctor. He said, I came to seek and to save the lost. And he went again to the lost. That's where we are headed. That's where we are reaching out. 
Do you know a statistic I got a number of years ago on, on, uh, on, on offerings in the church? This was a statistic we got so, so many years ago. Ken, I don't remember how many years ago it was. But uh, that out of the, the, that the average church in the United States of America, congregation, that out of $10 that came into a church, the average spent on the church to make the people in the church feel comfortable was $9.99 out of every $10. And that one cent on average out of every $10 went to something that could be called an outreach. I find that difficult, but I know so many who are forced to fish in their live wells. Never fishing in the sea of lost, never fishing in the sea of need, never fishing in the sea of desperation, but rather singing to the cheerleaders, preaching to, 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 to the choir. Come on now, this is good stuff. You can't just go anywhere. This, 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 this is, is our hope and our goal. Now, we will feed the sheep. We will tend the sheep. We must, we have to, but we will also make them productive. Sheep have sheep. Shepherds have shepherds. Sheep have sheep. We must continue to reach the lost, to give you ammunition, and, and, and to reach those that come here, uh, you know, and, and those that join with us on, on, online. The Apostle Paul understood that. And so in, in Acts 18, it continues in verse 4. You know, he's, he's gotten to Corinth. He found him a job. He found him a place to live, you know. Uh, the Bible says, And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded both Jews and Greeks. Okay? Now, now what, what, what he did is he taught. He, he, he brought them over. No indication here that he's sharing Jesus. There's no indication. Some might imagine. Some might not imagine. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm one of those that does not imagine. I think he's uh, getting acceptance. I think he is getting uh, here, you know, um, people to trust his teaching, to trust him. You know, perhaps he shared Christ. Maybe he did. But I know something happened in verse 5 that was a big change. And whenever he changed, things changed. Whenever he changed, he was no longer welcome in the synagogue. So I think something changed. <laughs> verse 5. When Silas and Timothy had come from Macedonia, see, they'd been up in Thessalonica. Now, he'd been there by himself, and he had a tough time. He had been, you know, and he got him a job, and he's working. We don't know how long it took, and here he, he's going to the synagogue, and I believe he's, 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 he's building a reputation, creating acceptance as a good teacher of, 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 of the law and a good teacher of the Word, those things which he should do. He's, he's, he's talking about things they understand and about things that they need. He's talking. He's getting into their world, and, 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 and once that happens, and then Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, and when, when that happened, Paul was compelled by his spirit all of a sudden he got invigorated he got animated he got encouraged and all of a sudden the spirit of God rose up on the inside you know how that can happen whenever all of a sudden you get a partnership and friend and people start encouraging iron sharpens iron and and, and all of a sudden when Paul and Timothy got there he he got compelled and he testified to the Jews that's when he testified to the Jews that Jesus is the Christ I think he was setting them up all along and telling them, you know, Messiah is supposed to come and giving them scriptures of Messiah. And then I think he went in one day and says, okay, now, boys, I want y'all to know that Jesus is the Christ. He is the Messiah, the Savior of the world, and he'll save you. And the only way to salvation is through Jesus Christ. 
And if you continue to read there, you'll find out that, the, that, that several of the leading religious leaders in the synagogue ran him off. And he said, fine, I'll go to the Gentiles. And there they raised up a great church in Corinth. My goodness, powerful, powerful, powerful. Both Jews and Gentiles being saved. Well, hey. When Paul and Silas, you know, when, when Silas and Timothy, brother, came from Macedonia, Paul was revisited. He was reinvigorated with passion and zeal. All of a sudden, the Holy Spirit, you know, just lifted him up. Maybe they started working so that he could get a little rest. I don't know. But, uh, but you know, uh, uh, he, he reengaged in presenting the gospel of Jesus Christ to the Jews. And, and uh, uh, anyway, uh, tonight my takeaway number one uh, God always has something wonderful uh, for us right after this that's what it said in the verse one you know after these things you know I mean he went through a real tough time but God had something wonderful waiting on him God always has something wonderful waiting on us right after the difficult moment right after the difficult time right after the trouble right after we get to a place where we're frustrated aggravated unproductive irritated you know we went through a bad season you know uh, God, you know we've been through a bad season uh, in, in our nation and around the world but God always has something wonderful for us after these things we read that so many times in the Word of God and after these things after those things after that you know uh, there is an after that you know uh, after the last thing is over good bad or indifferent God has a new thing God has a a wonderful thing in store for you okay. without regard without respect to what you have been through God has something wonderful waiting on you number two uh, um, if any will not work they should not eat I, I, I enjoyed that you know there's a difference between cannot and will not you know there's a difference between somebody that cannot and somebody that will not a willingness you know, um, uh, sometimes the first thing we need to do is do our part. And that's what the Apostle Paul did was his part. He understood his part, his necessity, and he was uh, reaching out to meet that necessity. And then a third thing that I take away from this is companions can encourage and help us to get back on track with God. You know, here uh, Silas and Timothy came down and helped the Apostle Paul. All of a sudden, he got reinvigorated, he got animated. He, uh, he had some good companions. And uh, I close this tonight by asking you, how good of a companion are you to others? Are you inspiring, encouraging, invigorating, animating others in your life? How good of a companion are you? Are you the reason they're getting back on track? You can't be. Thanks again for joining us for another exciting message from Pastor Ron Hammonds. Visit cotr.com and subscribe to all of our social media platforms to stay up to date. As well, receive more encouraging messages from our pastor and details of the work we're doing both in our community and communities like ours around the world. Today and every day, God bless.